Well, this is the last Sunday in our series, Seeds of Grace. If we could subtitle this series, I think it would be what we just sang. I know I'm filled to be emptied again. The seed I've received, I will sow. Last Sunday, Pastor John introduced us to the church in Corinth, Greece. You may remember he told us that that church had been asked to come up with some funds to send to the Jerusalem church because that church was under stress. Maybe there was a famine, maybe they just had financial difficulties, but anyhow, they needed help. And the Corinthians said, yes, we can do that, and they had a great plan. Paul now is up in Macedonia, north of Greece, and he's visiting the Macedonian churches, and he's encouraging them to also give to this ministry for the Jerusalem church. They were so uh, excited to do. They were prompted by what they heard the Corinthians were going to do. And they actually got together a uh, reasonable, according to Paul, amount of money, I guess, to send to the Jerusalem church. And Paul's thinking about coming back down to Corinth. But guess what? The Corinthians had not gotten the thing together yet. And so Paul is gently admonishing the Corinthians to get their act together, if you will. They had made great promises, but they did not produce yet. And I'm sure that your email feed, as mine, your snail mail, is filled with requests for food and assistance, financial support, especially during the holidays. The uh, New Hampshire Food Bank, Catholic Charities, the soup kitchens, everybody is asking you for help. Why? Because it's a great need. But guess what? I bet you, like I, haven't answered all those requests. Or you might have thought to, and you yet haven't done it. Maybe you're like me. I see the uh, container in the foyer for uh, collecting food for the, uh, goodness, what's it called? share box. Sorry. The share box. And I think, yes, I need to bring something for the share box. I didn't bring anything today. I forgot. So once again, uh, John asked me to develop a message around the theme of the legacy of Christ Church using the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is what Grace Chapel is doing this Sunday, and John thought it might be good for us to do it here. So I'd like to do it in three parts. The first part will be a short history from the 10,000-foot level. Why? Because probably a number of you really don't know some of that history. Then I'd like to address what we could call the legacy of CCA. And finally, I'll make an attempt to hook it into 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in the context of Seeds of Grace. So it was... On the 16th of November, 1985, that a small group gathered in our living room at 31 Holt Road in Amherst for the first worship service of CCA. Uh, This is pretty close to the first day. It's not our living room, but it's our back lawn. And that's at the very, very, very beginning of Christ Church. It gives you an idea of there were people there. 
And uh, it was a great time. Why did we do this? Well, there was some dissatisfaction with the status quo. There was also a real desire to be an influence, a relevant presence, a relevant uh, witness in the community. Now, one of my surgical partners is a fine Roman Catholic guy. And he said to me, Johnson, you can't just start a church in your house. Not against, it's against the policy. So, uh, well, you know what? You can. Or rather, I should say, God can. And that's what happened. But there were spiritual, financial, interpersonal difficulties and struggles along the way that left our history more of a sine curve rather than a straight upward trajectory. After a couple weeks, we met at the meeting place on 101 in what was then called the Lord Jeffrey Restaurant. It's now the Sauhegan Veterinary, no, Panema Veterinary Hospital. Yes, it was a functioning restaurant, and people would come in for brunch or for lunch, and guess what? They could hear a sermon. They could hear a bunch of Christians singing praise songs to the accompaniment of an accordion played by B.J. Benkin. A very unusual setting. In December of 1985, one month after we began, I just put it in perspective, one month after we began, we held a full-fledged Christmas play at the Benkin home. Now, a humorous thing about that is a fellow named Bob Connolly, who you'll meet, you will meet later, played the angel Gabriel. Bob, uh, in college, was a lineman on North Carolina's football team. Bob is a big boy. And he scared the daylights out of the young shepherds. So <laughs> this play was quite true to historical recording. After a few weeks, we were able to secure some space in the auditorium of the Amherst Middle School. And every Sunday, we set up and took down the chairs and the tables. Every Sunday, we set up and took down the chairs and the tables. Every Sunday, we set up and took down all of the chairs and all of the tables. Can you imagine coming in here and doing that every Sunday? At the beginning, at the end, up and down, up and down. In 1986, we were given... 27 acres of land by Mr. Lorden. That's the land that this building is on. Mr. Lorden was the father-in-law of our pastor, Mike Cahill. In 1988, we got tired of setting up and taking down all those chairs, and we rented a commercial building at 31 Old Nashua Road along the railroad track, so 101A, and we were in that transitional location for 10 years. A high point on that sign curve that I mentioned, just to give you a perspective, around 1990, at a high point, we actually had about 300 people attending two separate Sunday morning worship services. That facility now is the RSEC Academy. But as CCA entered the 1990s, times became a little more difficult and we were without a senior pastor. Members of the congregation rose to uh, the occasion, and God provided spiritual leadership through probably teaching one year at a time through people like Jack Gary, who was the executive director of Crossroads Ministry. 
Another gentleman, Dr. Max Malakow, was a psychologist and a bodybuilder, a very impressive presence in the church. In 1997, our senior pastor at the time, Bob Steer, gave us advance warning that he felt God was calling him to a different ministry. And he said he would be planning to be gone in a year. At the same time, the owners of the building said, we would like you out of our building in a year. And so the congregation was presented with this dilemma. And they had the choice. Shall we just disperse and find our way into other churches or do you all want to keep this going? And the consensus really was, we want to keep it going. So without a pastor and without a facility, the church decided to keep going and trust God for both of those things, which really meant this wasn't going to be a human endeavor. This was going to be a, a God thing. As it turned out, a gentleman named Rick Cardos had been listening to some tapes by a pastor named Joel Hunter from Northland Church in Longwood, Florida. So CCA uh, interviewed and, and looked into, uh, uh, sort of inspected or investigated this distributed church concept that they were holding out to churches like us. And they also came and looked at us to see if we were a legitimate concern. We thought that this would work. And on the Sunday that we actually presented this to the congregation, there was visiting from Florida, a couple, Burke and Kathy Rents, And they knew the, law, the uh, uh, church in Northland, and they spoke to us and gave a good report and uh, spoke very highly of the church. And so it was decided to do it. We began by having a satellite van, huge dish on top of it, and we held the first simultaneous church worship service with the church in Florida and us at 31 Old Nashua Road. And then after that, Isaac Hunter, the pastor's son who was studying to become a minister, flew up every weekend to preach. And um, he was well accepted. He was an amazing young man and uh, was with us for probably about a, close to a year doing that. Then in October of 2000, the congregation voted to build a building. And through the Northland Connection, Darren Shaw became pastor until he resigned in 2013. And then after that, during the next two years, CCA wrestled with questions of identity and purpose. But God provided a great guidance and comfort to the congregation through the teaching and preaching of a man named Dr. Dale Keene, who was professor and chair of the Department of Ethics, Economics, and the Common Good at St. Anselm's College. Probably not the first person you would think of to come to this church, but was absolutely God's perfect match for us. And then, uh, eventually, a strategic partnership was signed with Grace Chapel in Lexington on the 1st of December, 2015. And in September of 2016, CCA voted to call John Nuxel as pastor. And John and Amy accepted, and that brings us right up to today. As I said, that's a 10,000-foot level. There are a lot of great stories in the meantime. What do we mean by Legacy. Well, legacy is something that you pass on. Uh, it can take many forms, right? It can be money. It can be ideas. It could be traditions. Uh, 
It could be important memories, but it's something you pass on generation to generation. Over the years, people come and go, and we are not the same congregation that we were in the 1980s. What some people remember, others forget. What some think is important legacy that should be used as benchmarks from the future or for the future, others feel that times have changed and that we need to change as well. And then, obviously, there is CCA legacy that is yet to be written. That said, I want to emphasize that it is the results of what we do or we don't do that create a legacy. It's what we do or don't do that create a legacy, the results. Pastor John introduced us to a new word, awe, adventurosity, adventurosity. Do you remember what the definition was? Take risks and see what God will do. Take risks and see what God will do. And I think that adventurosity is what will lead to a rich legacy. As we think about CCA's legacy, remember, I'm not holding out a specific event or a concept as the legacy, but rather the result of these activities that should be remembered as a legacy. Times change. Strategic planning must be malleable. But our goal of celebrating people, discover, uh, pursuing wholeness, and discovering God are what we want to leave as legacies. A legacy of loving God and loving people. So I really value Jim Stratton's opinion and his great memory. So I asked him to sit down with me and think about CCA's legacy. In no particular order of timing, in no particular order of importance, here is what we came up with. Men's ministry, lights, L-I-T-E-S, leadership, training, teaching, evangelism, service. This was the men's ministry of Christ Church. I want to put some flesh on that. Bob and Sue Connolly were our next door neighbors in, on Holt Road. In 1982, in the summer of 1982, Billy Graham came to Manchester, New Hampshire and held a crusade at the Gill Stadium in Manchester. Kristen and I invited Bob and Sue to go with us to the crusade. And I had the privilege of walking with Bob Connolly to the front of that stadium when he gave his heart to Christ. Bob Connolly became the face of the men's ministry at Christ Church. Very active, very excellent. He also became very involved with prison fellowship. Bob then was on an airplane trip, business trip, when a young man sat next to him and basically unloaded all the stuff in his life. Bob basically said, young man, you need Jesus. That young man was Rick Cardos. And today we have the Nathan Project. This is what I mean by legacy. Women. The community Bible study was a fantastic ministry for women. And many of these women 
and their families became associated with Christ Church, and this ministry impacted the lives in Milford and Amherst. We had youth group activities, including mission trips to Chicago, and several students went on teen missions. You know, teen missions, yeah, you think of teens going on mission, but that's the organization, teen missions. And we had several students who went to different parts of the world. Leaders like the Bankins, Barry Nielsen, Paula Chafe, and Bill McGonnell had a huge impact on our youth. At one time, CCA actually hired a full-time youth pastor. In addition, some of our youth took part in the youth ministry at Bethany Covenant Church, which was a supplement to what we were able to do here. And throughout our history, CCA members have enjoyed activities that strengthen the fellowship in the congregation, body life, if you will. Kit Du facilitated dances. Roostrand created formal mother-daughter teas. Dinner parties happened periodically. Kathy Thompson wrote the play Eternal Encounters, and it was casted with CCA members. The talent show was so huge, such a big event, that we had to use the Amherst Congregational Church to carry it off. These legacy footprints are seen today in our life groups, book club, our Bible studies, White Mountain Hiking, our greeter ministry. Encouraging generational leadership is another great legacy of Christ Church. Two legacy footprints that are well known to us are Mike Cahill and Jesse Andreessen, both of whom grew up here in CCA. Here's an interesting aside. Last Sunday, Pastor John and I were standing up here, and uh, Adrian Fernandez, age 13, came up with his grandmother and said, I want to ask Pastor John a question. Okay. Pastor John, can I become a member of the church? Age 13. This is an opportunity for generational leadership. Just so you know, I asked Adrian, could I tell this story? He said yes. CCA has a legacy of reaching out, connecting to the community in many ways. We've taken the gospel into the workplace and brought people into the workplace. Al Du and Jim Stratton, two guys who have provided a number of people employments when they were struggling. Marissa Fernandes and others have spoken boldly into the moral and ethical issues of our day in the public square, in the Agora, not just the church, but in the public square. You might not know this. In fact, I doubt that many of you actually do. In, from 1986 until 2007, CCA offered 11 workshops open to other churches, open to the community at large, and they covered such topics as ethics, prophecy, marriage, leadership, and yes, physics, a discussion on on the nature of ultimate physical reality. A gentleman at that session came up to me and said, this is amazing. I did not know Christians thought about these things. That's an impact in the community. From the beginning, CCA's support of missions has been part of our DNA and probably our projects over several years that involve Namibia have been the ones that have, has been the one that has gotten the most participation. Now, having said all of this, it's important to remember that a healthy church remembers the past, is guided by its legacy, 
but focuses on the future. Remember the past, guided by your legacy, but focus on the future. Two Sundays ago, Pastor Brian was speaking from Mark 4 and emphasized that we need to sow generously. The seeds that we sow will grow mysteriously into an abundant crop. So we are to sow generously, watch the miracle happen into an abundant crop. Now these seeds could be financial seeds. They might be seeds of help. They may be your talents given. They may be evangelistic seeds or even seeds of legacy. What I want to do now is try to tie some of this into Paul's uh, writing to the church at Corinth. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to read a few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6, 6 to 13. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Did you see that? How many times does the word all appear in this verse? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every or all good work. As it's written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God. For the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church about their commitment to help the church in Jerusalem. And he's referring to Proverbs 11 where both the natural world and the spiritual world in those contexts, larger harvests require larger planting. If you sow less, you expect less grain. God is asking each of us to decide how much to give. As the scripture said, giving should be voluntary. It is not a tax or an obligation. A gift of money or any other gift is only a gift if the giver is not obligated to give it. Paul clearly states that God loves a cheerful giver. What's he mean by that? Does God love me if I don't give cheerfully? Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. No, God loves the sinner. He loves me when I'm not doing things right. He loves me even if I'm giving 
not cheerfully. God delights in our trusting him with our giving. In the Psalms it says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. You see, a cheerful giver is one who is putting their hope and trust in God, and that is what delights God. Paul anticipates a a legitimate concern. If I give, I might not have enough for myself. But the Christians convinced that God is the source of their provision and that the supply will not run out. And, as Pastor Brian pointed out, this is not a health and wealth gospel. We're not meant to give so that we, be, so that we can become rich. Any increase in the resources that come to us, they come with the expectation from God that it will be given away again and again to meet the needs of others. As we sang, I know I'm filled Why? To be emptied again. The seed I've received, I will sow. Giving is also more than just meeting a need. It's about increasing God's righteousness on earth. The spiritual results matter as much or not or more than meeting the physical needs. Because as the text said, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So... As we come to the end of this series, Seeds of Grace, we want to recognize that we need the Lord and we need him every hour. You and I are in desperate need of God's presence. No matter how secure in life we might feel, we are in desperate need for God's presence in every moment. Are you in desperate need of God in the good times as well as the struggle? Are you desperate to be sowing seeds? Only then will we leave legacy footprints that bring glory to God.